Hello, and welcome to the Generational Cycle Breaker podcast. My name is Natasha, and I'm your host, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. I do need to start this episode by telling you that I have really had a lot of difficulty with getting this one out there. I've been trying to record it for uh, several days now, and I either have technical difficulties, I get the thing completely recorded, and for some reason it doesn't save... Um, or I'm just not happy with the way I am presenting the information. So the problem is, is that this episode is about a an issue that I have, something that I struggle with. And so I keep getting triggered and then dissociating and then messing up what I want to say. But I am tired of going back over again and again. And so this time I'm just going to try to push through and get this information out to you because I think it's really important information to have. I do have a trigger warning for this episode. Um, I am going to be talking, of course, about adverse childhood experiences and symptomology of um, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So um, that is also sometimes called CPTSD, uh, complex PTSD, chronic PTSD. Uh, There's a few different names that can be used for it. This is a disorder that is not in the DSM at this point in time. It is recognized worldwide, but it has not been added to the DSM. The thought is that it probably will with the next edition, but time will only tell. Um, I do want to tell you that I got most of my information from the UK Trauma Council, also Psych Central and Beauty After Bruises. I'll leave a more detailed bibliography in my show notes so that you can click on links and read if you'd like to, or at least copy and paste links. Um, And if you have any questions at all, please feel free to let me know. To begin this episode, I am going to recap PTSD. If you remember right, it's a disorder that develops in some people who experience a shocking, scary, or dangerous event. It can happen at any age, and it's directly linked to a traumatic event. Complex PTSD is similar to PTSD in the sense that it is caused from trauma. However, it is caused from severe repetitive trauma that repeats for months or years, and it usually is from childhood. So that's the big difference between the two. PTSD is more of a one-time event. If you're um, attacked by someone, if you have a uh, military career and you go to a battle, Now, if it goes on and on uh, for a long time, then that could lead to complex PTSD as well. But in general, most combat vets have PTSD if they have any difficulties uh, with their trauma. I do have a really great quote to read to you. Uh, This quote is from... Bessel A. Vanderkolk, and he is the author of The Body Keeps the Score, which is a really fascinating book about 
how trauma is stored in our bodies. Um, it has been rec- to, recommended to me on several different occasions from different therapists and other people on their healing journeys. Um, it is a very triggering book to read. So um, I have not read the whole book. I had to take a break from reading it. But um, if you feel like you're able to read the book, um, this quote is directly from that book. He says, the trauma stress field has adopted the term complex trauma to describe the experience of multiple and or chronic and prolonged developmentally adverse traumatic events, most often of an interpersonal nature and early life onset. These exposures often occur within the child's caregiving system and include physical, emotional, and educational neglect and child maltreatment beginning in early childhood. So the causes for complex PTSD um, are obviously childhood abuse or neglect, like that quote said. Also, someone in a domestic violence situation may develop CPTSD. Uh, Someone who suffers from uh, sexual abuse, um, torture, sex trafficking, slavery, and then, as I said before, if someone is in war for an extended period of time. So um, it could be a military person or that could be someone who's living in a place where there's war. You are more likely to develop CPTSD if you experience trauma at a young age, if you suffered at the hands of someone close to you who you trusted, and if you were unable to escape the situation. So if you think about a child, you know, three, four, five, all the way up to really a teenager, um, even that child really doesn't have the ability to escape their situation. They depend completely on their caregivers. um, So they're not able to get out of the situation that is harming them. And that really goes against their instincts, right? Uh, Your instincts are to protect yourself. Um, And so complex PTSD is the result of that situation. Now, most people who have complex PTSD um, will also meet the criteria for PTSD. So I'm going to go through that criteria as just a quick reminder. The first section of symptoms are re-experiencing the events. And so that would be flashbacks, intrusive memories, um, It could be emotional flashbacks, not physical flashbacks. And then the second section is avoidance of things that remind you of the events. And so you might avoid people or places. You might avoid talking about the situation. The third diagnostic criteria section is hypervigilance. So if you remember right with hypervigilance, that is being really on high alert. And then the fourth area of symptoms is increased arousal and reactivity. And remember that leads to the startle reflex. It can lead to nightmares. 
Um, It can lead to high emotionality. Now, for people with CPTSD, there are several additional difficulties that someone will suffer from. I will say uh, for me with my CPTSD, I do um, pretty much check every single box. I have all of these symptoms. With the therapy that I've been in for years and the work that I've done, they have improved quite a bit. Um, But typically, um, these symptoms become more of a management type of thing. They're not going to go away completely, um, but they can be managed through therapy, through grounding techniques with medication, different things like that. So I am going to go ahead and go through these extra difficulties now. This, um, there are quite a few, and so it might seem um, a little overwhelming, but I do want to let you know that there is hope, um, and I will be talking about the stages of recovery after we talk about these difficulties. So people with CPTSD a lot of times will have problems with emotional regulation, and the emotional regulation will lead to difficulty controlling emotions. Uh, They may also have constant feelings of emptiness or hopelessness. And they might deal with regular suicidality. Now, as far as um, suicidality is concerned, there are two different main types. There is uh, passive and active. And so A lot of um, people will experience the passive um, more than the active. And passive is just kind of thinking about it, thinking, um, not actually making plans, just kind of having it in the back of your head. The second area of symptoms for CPTSD has to do with self-perception and difficulty surrounding that. So people with CPTSD a lot of times will feel permanently damaged. They'll feel worthless. Um, They might feel as if they're different from everyone else. Similar to how I was talking about being a lonely cycle breaker, not really feeling like you're able to relate to other people. The next area of symptoms centers around interruptions in consciousness. And for that, it really is going to deal mostly with dissociation. A lot of people with CPTSD, um, because of dissociation, uh, have difficulties with their memory. And they might have amnesia for some or all of their trauma that they experienced. They might remember the trauma, but then forget the order. Or they might deal with chronic reliving of the memories and the trauma. In addition, uh, they will experience dissociation on a spectrum. Um, And I do plan on doing an episode on dissociation and on this spectrum in the future, so I'm not going to go into uh, detail with it right now, Um, but just in general, the idea is that dissociation exists on a spectrum. So everyone dissociates at some point. Um, 
any kind of daydreaming, um, if you have gotten really into a book or a movie and then you realize that hours have passed um, and you didn't even realize that, that the time was passing like that. Or if you've ever driven to work and you realize that you were kind of checked out for a good portion of the drive and you don't really remember specifics of it. Those are mild types of dissociation that everyone experiences, but it can also go all the way up to um, not really recognizing yourself, not feeling like the world is real, and even all the way up to dissociative identity disorder. Um, So there are different levels of of dissociation, um, and like I said before, I'll go through those in another episode, but uh, dissociation is a big part um, of my CPTSD. I don't know if it is for, um, everyone, but based on the communities that I'm in, it seems like it's a, it's one of the most common issues that people have. The next area of symptoms have to do or difficulties have to do with relationships. Um, so people with CPTSD really have difficulty with feeling angry or distrustful, um, towards just people in general, just, um, the world in general, it's really hard to trust people, um, at all. Um, I don't think that the feeling angry is necessarily, um, everyone, but I would say that probably everyone with CPTSD, um, struggles with, trusting people. Also, people with CPTSD will um, sometimes avoid friendships or relationships or find them very difficult. And again, that's similar to what I was saying about the being a lonely cycle breaker. Um, Sometimes when you have this type of history, um, it's really hard to um, develop friendships with people. Um, And feel like they're genuine, um, which sounds bad. I'm not trying to, to be mean. Um, I hope that didn't come off that way, but, um, it's just, um, kind of hard because people with, usually people with CPTSD have a lot of developmental trauma because they're young and, uh, the trauma is also a betrayal trauma because it's from people who are really close to them. So just, uh, the whole idea of um, learning about relationships and how they happen uh, t- doesn't really happen for those people, um, for us. <laughs> and so um, we really have to learn uh, how these relationships work in a healthy way as adults because it's not something that we ever learned when we were children. The next um, area of difficulty would be in relation to the perpetrators um, and the perception that the uh, person has who has CPTSD in regard to their perpetrators. Some people who have CPTSD uh, might be obsessed with their perpetrators. Um, They might be obsessed with hating them. Uh, they might be obsessed with revenge or think about it. Now, I do want to make sure to say, though, that doesn't mean that people who have CPTSD 
seek the revenge um, or are um, in any way dangerous because of their CPTSD. It's really more of um, just the obsession with the perpetrator themselves. The other end of the spectrum for that is we might hold our abusers up on a pedestal um, or treat them with a kindness that um, we don't treat other people with. And a lot of that, I think, is related to trying to earn their love. And also it's related to denial. Um, You know, as a child, you have to be able to bond with someone. And if you don't really have anybody safe who you can bond with, then you really kind of have to deny the abuse that's happening to you from your abusers because they're the only people who you can bond with. So that can be a common thing that happens as well. And then there develops a cognitive dissonance because you love those people, but you also know that they hurt you. And so you don't want to be around those people who hurt you. You don't want to interact with them. But then at the same time, you have this innate need to be loved. And so you try to get love from them as well. And that can be uh, really confusing for um, people in their healing journey, kind of coming to terms and looking at um, people in the accurate light instead of uh, more favorable light has been a big part of my healing journey. The next area of symptoms um, are somatic symptoms. And somatic symptoms are symptoms that um, show up physically. So people with CPTSD, um, a lot of times they will suffer with headaches. They'll suffer with stomach issues, digestive issues. Um, They might have unexplained pain. They might have uh, joint pain, pain in their back and in their neck. A lot of times they will suffer with fibromyalgia. But it's not just these um, symptoms that have no biological, like medical reason. It is also actual health that is affected. The physical health of someone who goes through these difficulties um, and develops complex PTSD Um, they are more likely to have heart disease. They're more likely to have autoimmune diseases. We're more likely to have cancer. Um, There are several um, chronic diseases that are more common in people with CPTSD. The final area of difficulty Um, is in systems of meaning. And systems of meaning are really the idea 
that most children have or most people have really that the world is generally a good place most people are good um that type of system of meaning really gets thrown for a loop and a lot of people with cptsd struggle to believe that there is any good in the world struggle to believe that there's justice um, or that anyone is genuinely good or unselfish Another thing that we a lot of times have difficulty with is believing in a higher power. So a lot of those beliefs that people have, those systems of meaning, give people their whole worldview. And so people who have CPTSD, we struggle with that worldview of having a a good world, um, having people be just genuinely good. Um, And that really can be um, one of the most disturbing parts uh, for me of CPTSD um, because it just sometimes can get to a point of feeling pretty bleak. But there is hope. (laughs) I said in the beginning before I went over all of those different areas of difficulties that we would talk about treatment. And I want you to know that if you are struggling with CPTSD or think you might be, if you have a lot of these difficulties, or even if you don't have all of those difficulties, even if you're someone who really hasn't had issues with chronic trauma and you have issues with anxiety or depression or or anything like that, there's hope. There's a, a way to go through treatment and start thriving and living a better life. So I have been in therapy for CPTSD um, for several years Um here and there. This last bout that I've been in, it's been four years. And the average person who has CPTSD takes 10 or more years to heal. So I did do therapy uh, two other times. So I probably have about five or six years under my belt um, total. I will tell you that I feel much more stable than I did when I first started, um, but it doesn't get any easier. And as you process some things, there are other things that come up that you then need to process. Very similar to how I was talking about peeling back that onion. So I have moved between these stages several times. These stages are not linear. It's not you do stage one, you're done. You do stage two, you're done. You do stage three, you're done. You're, you never do counseling again. Um, that might be the case for some people. I highly doubt the majority of people um, do it like that. I think a lot of people probably move in between stages. So if you um, are in therapy for CPTSD and you weren't aware that it could take that long and you're moving between these stages and you feel like there's something wrong or you're doing something wrong, you're not. It's just that much work, uh, but the work is definitely worth it. So the first stage of treating CPTSD is establishing safety. 
And this is really the most important stage. A lot of people think that the most important stage is actually digging into your traumatic memories and processing them and really just kind of understanding them and and dealing with them um, and integrating them into your life is the uh, like meat and potatoes or the meat of the meat and potatoes, I guess I should say. Um, but that's not the case. The most important thing that you need to do is establish safety with your therapist in your own body, in your life, because you are going to need everything from stage one to be able to get to the other stages. Establishing safety will entail learning about trauma and how people respond to it. Um, Listening to this podcast or other podcasts or reading books can also uh, benefit that. I am going to, throughout this, give you ideas of things that you can do outside of therapy as well, because I know that not everyone has the privilege of being able to go to therapy um, and see a professional. So um, I do plan on giving you ideas uh, outside of therapy for you to do as well um, to help uh, with, with your healing process. So you can learn about trauma and how people respond on your own. Uh, Your therapist would be able to answer a lot of questions for you too, though. You also develop trust with a therapist. And if you're not able to see a therapist, um, you need to you need to develop trust with yourself and you should find someone who you can trust. Um, I will say that if it's possible at all for you to go to therapy, if you struggle with CPTSD, um, absolutely 100% do that. It is a complex disorder. Digging through trauma, especially the type of trauma that causes CPTSD, is really difficult. And having a professional, someone who knows what they're doing, I think is invaluable. So if you can in any way, shape, or form, absolutely do therapy over trying to do this by yourself. However, if you can't see a therapist, all is not lost. During this first stage of recovery, uh, in addition to developing trust with your therapist and yourself, you'll also learn how to nurture yourself, how to soothe yourself. You'll learn emotional regulation. You'll learn how to manage your symptoms more um, healthily. You will get training in assertiveness and in boundary setting. You'll learn about stress reduction techniques. And if you decide and can afford to and uh, your doctor or therapist uh, thinks that it's a good idea, then you might start medications. Now, most counselors can't prescribe medications, so you would have to see um, an actual medical doctor for that. Um, You could see your primary care doctor or a psychiatrist. Um, It's always best to see the psychiatrist if you're able to see them. Um, Why not see a specialist who, you know, knows the most about the medicine? But um, I have been in and out of this stage countless times. Um, Anytime you start with a new therapist, 
you uh, will go back to this stage. Um, and anytime you get to a different level of trauma, and also anytime you have a new trauma, um, you may need to go back to this stage as well. It's important that you are patient with yourself. Um, it took years and years to get your brain to be reacting this way. So it's going to take just as long probably or close to it to get your brain functioning in a healthy way. The next stage of treatment for CPTSD is remembering and mourning. And this is the stage where you will revisit um, your traumatic events and process them. There are several therapies that can be used for this stage. You might do prolonged or narrative exposure therapy. Um, and I, I do want to pre- preface this area of therapy with the fact that you'll probably do all these therapies. Like I've done almost all of them, um, even with the same therapist. I don't think that most therapists do just one type of therapy. Um, They just kind of cater it to uh, their patient or client at the time. But um, you will have times that you'll probably use the vast majority of these. So anyways, in prolonged narrative exposure, um, you'll learn how to control your breathing and ground yourself while you walk through your memories and your thoughts and feelings, any sensations surrounding the trauma. You will talk about those and talk through them while also stopping when you need to to control your breathing and ground yourself. And what this does is it desensitizes you to your body's reaction and it allows you to start processing, right? When you are not controlling your breathing and your heart rate and everything else and you're going back through this memory, your brain doesn't know the difference between 20 years ago and now, It just hears this and it starts thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going through it again. And then your heart rate shoots up and then uh, your breathing increases and then all of that feeds back into your brain and your brain says, see, yep, it's a problem. I need to do more. So doing this grounding work and learning how to control your breathing will keep you from getting into that mode. And when you're not in that fight or flight mode, then you can use your higher brain, your prefrontal cortex, and you can reason with yourself and you can process things better instead of just getting stuck. Cognitive processing therapy is where your therapist will help you change your thoughts and beliefs surrounding your trauma and yourself. So that would a lot of times come after, in my experience, come after the narrative exposure and and kind of be combined with it. Um, You kind of use the cognitive processing therapy to do the processing of what you bring up during the exposure. A really popular uh, therapy right now is EMDR. That's eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And 
In this one, you focus on traumatic events while you move your eyes uh, back and forth bilaterally, or you might tap bilaterally. Any kind of bilateral movement will be used or can be used during EMDR. Um, it engages both sides of your brain when you use bilateral movement. And so that allows for faster reprocessing because it keeps you more in the present instead of getting stuck in that, that memory. It does work best for single traumas over complex traumas. Um, from what I have read, I've used EMDR on two separate occasions. The first time was just the clinician tapped on my knees while I just moved my eyes back and forth. There was nothing for me to focus on. And that was when it was very first being used. Uh, They hadn't even really started licensing people as much for it. Um, It it had been used in the military uh, more, but they were um, saying that it could be effective for other traumas as well. And so that's why my therapist decided to try it. The second time I did EMDR, um, I did after a car accident. And when I did that one, there was a bar in front of me with a blue light that went from side to side that I followed with my eyes. And then there were two things that I held, almost like a, a joystick, um, or it was smaller than that, like a, almost like a, I don't know. Um, and it would vibrate. So I had two, and so I, you would put one in each hand, and then it would vibrate from side to side along with the light. And so you would get that bilateral movement with both your eyes and the feeling in your hands. Um, and it was really effective for my car accident. I have not done it since. Um, I have been getting such good results with the other therapies that I've been doing that I haven't felt the need to do it. Um, but there are a lot of people who um, have done it and um, used it for childhood trauma. And I did use it for some uh, childhood trauma um, that I experienced. But um, I used it for more of the things that uh, weren't as difficult to process or accept or deal with. Um, Anyways, it definitely is a good therapy to look into. Um, If you want to try it, it, there's a website that you can go to um, to find a therapist who is licensed in it. The next type of therapy is DBT, dialectical behavior therapy. And um, I've used this therapy. I really enjoy it. Um, It's made a big difference in my life. It is uh, more about education and skills building to manage intense emotions and negative social relationships. So it gives you skills to keep yourself within a calmer window when you're interacting with people um, or just in life in general. And of course, as we talked about, if your emotions um, 
are more elevated, then you're going to have elevated breathing and heart rate, which are then going to increase your emotions even higher. So getting these skills to be able to manage these emotions, um, all of that will play into you being able to um, have the like social interactions that you want to be able to have. TMS is a therapy that I have not done. Um, it is an MRI-like um, technology that's used to stimulate different regions of the brain uh, through electrodes that are stuck to the person's head. I do not know that much about this treatment um, other than that it is not supposed to be painful. It kind of sounds a little bit like the um, electroshock therapy, but it's not. It's just with those little like EKG uh, electrodes um, and it, the MRI-like technology, is it's not going to cause pain to people. Um, I'm not sure what instances this would be preferred in, and I don't know anybody who's had it, um, but I did find that as a treatment option um, on Psych Central. Um, so I will make sure to link that in the show notes so that if you're interested in it, you can um, find that. Various somatic therapies are used in the treatment for CPTSD as well. Um, and with somatic therapies, you'll talk about your past traumas or your emotions, anything that you um, are feeling while, while you focus on your body's physical reactions. So this helps to release trauma stored in your body. It helps to keep you grounded. Um, it helps you to understand even what emotions you have. One of the things that I had a lot of difficulty with uh, before I started therapy uh, was naming my emotions um, other than, you know, mad and happy pretty much. Um, and I've used a lot of somatic therapies to um, learn where in my body I feel certain emotions, um, which kind of helps me to process and understand things a little bit better. Psychodynamic therapy um, is a, a therapy where you can do this by yourself. Um, it is um, like metacognition pretty much. You investigate the why behind your thoughts and actions. I do this, I, sometimes I feel like constantly, like why did I say that? What was I feeling? Why did I feel that? What was I thinking when I felt that and why? Um, and this has really helped me to really understand why I do something and then be able to change it. Because if I understand why, then I'm able to, for lack of a better term, talk myself off the edge um, or off the ledge and, you know, say like, no, that's not, that's not what's going on. Um, you know, you shouldn't have this reaction because this person is not doing the same thing that was done, um, that you experienced when you were whatever age. Um, I'm not sure if that made sense. Uh, 
<laughs> but it's um, it's really just trying to figure out why you had certain thoughts and actions. And it's really effective. It's something that you can do on your own without a therapist um, or a therapist can help you with that as well. And um, the next treatment is something, um, actually all the rest of the treatments that I'm going to say are ones that you can really kind of do on your own without a therapist. Um, The first one um, or next one, I guess I should say, is uh, IFS, internal family systems. And the whole idea behind this is that Um, all people have different parts, kind of like a family does. So you have different parts of your personality. You might have your more um, spontaneous side, right? Your more spontaneous part. And then you have your part that's more of a planner and more like a parent would be um, kind of keeping things, you know, um, in check. And then you might have, um, you know, a part of you that likes to read and study and like school. And then you have a part of you that likes to do different sports. So that's the idea of um, internal family systems. And it basically um, falls under the expectation that your parts work together like a family would. And so by getting to know your different parts and why they're hurting, um, you can help them with compassion to accept the past. And this is really um, uh, very similar to the psychodynamic therapy. They kind of can go hand in hand. Um, But the internal family systems is supposed to be really effective. I've done a little bit of it, um, more on my own. I've done, I, I focused a lot on inner child work, um, which kind of falls, um, under the IFS, but, um, I have not done a ton of it. Um, there are a lot of people who really find a lot of benefit from it, especially because they can do it on their own. And um, it's very effective in helping people to heal trauma. The next type of therapy is going to be art or music therapy. And this is especially helpful for people with CPTSD um, who have troubles with dissociation because this will allow people to bring up those memories, those oppressed, repressed emotions, um, and express them non-verbally. Activities like dancing, moving your body, um, playing an instrument, writing anything um, like songs or poetry or anything like that, all of these different activities are really grounding. And so by doing those, they can keep you in the present while you are then trying to process your emotions um, can be very good for your body um, to be able to experience that grounding. And then the final thing is going to be the inner child work. And that is um, really reparenting yourself. You get in touch with your unhealed inner child and you help to heal wounds like a parent would. And this is one of my favorite things to do because um, it 
it's almost like when you have a thought about a, a previous trauma, um, when you have CPTSD, it kind of, you get, and probably people without it as well, get kind of caught back in time and feel like they did when they were first experiencing that. And so you can really kind of get in touch with the emotions that you had at that time. And then you can talk yourself through them and you can process them. And then, um, you, you kind of are able to calm down that part of your brain, uh, very similar to how a parent would with a child who is having difficulty um, or should with a child who's having difficulty. So those are the different treatment options um, that are used during that second stage of treatment for CPTSD. And then the third stage is reconnecting with community and society. And during this time, you get to recreate your new sense of self. You get to decide what your values are. You get to get to a place where you accept the trauma as part of your life story, but it no longer defines who you are. You get to learn interpersonal skills and develop those. You get to decide who you will or will not keep around in your life, who's healthy for you to be around and who is not. And then you also will get to keep moving toward helping, uh, continuing to heal and grow. Um, and you might start helping people as well. So, um, something similar to this podcast or a lot of people have social media accounts as well uh, where they're sharing their stories and um, helping other people um, to not feel so alone and to just uh, heal out loud and get rid of the stigmas that exist around these issues. The final thing I want to talk about is the benefits of healing. I know... um, how daunting it is when you are beginning your healing journey, hearing these symptoms and difficulties and hearing about the fact that people are in treatment for 10 10 years or longer. Um, And I know that that can feel really overwhelming and feel like, what's the point? I'd like to challenge you with the fact that that time's going to pass anyway. So you might as well spend that time improving your life and improving um, your children's lives, right? Like, to me, you have nothing to lose. Um, but I know that, that that all of this can be very overwhelming. So I wanted to make the, a list of benefits of healing um, and speak with you about those as well. Because there absolutely 100% is hope. You can get to a point where you can assimilate your previous trauma and um, get to a point where um, it, it doesn't affect you anymore or at least doesn't affect you in the same way that it does when it hasn't been processed. So benefits of healing. You will eliminate or reduce your triggers. You will improve your close relationships Um, This has been 
a dramatic improvement for me through therapy, um, improving the way I am in relationships and improving my close relationships. You'll also learn healthy coping skills so that you can handle negative thoughts and keep yourself calm. You can increase your peace of mind. You can learn how to reframe the past, which is what we were talking about just a couple minutes ago. You can improve your daily function by regulating your nervous system. I mean, it will improve your daily function just if you're able to control your emotions better. But in addition to that, regulating your nervous system, um, when your nervous system is not regulated, it can cause various um, diseases and pains and just difficulties um, getting through different parts of your day. So um, it absolutely does improve your daily function. And it can improve your physical health. Uh, Remember I said before, people with CPTSD are more likely to have heart disease and cancer and autoimmune disease. And by healing your trauma, you can better equip your body to fight diseases like that. Because if your body is calm and not in fight or flight, then it can function the way it's supposed to. But when your body is constantly in a trauma response, constantly in fight or flight mode um, or freeze, um, your body is functioning to help you survive. So you, you know, in fight mode, you have blood flow increase to your limbs and away from your trunk. In freeze mode, they uh, center into your trunk instead. Um, So when your body is in one of those stress responses, it's not able to function the way that it's supposed to. And so Healing your mind will 100% help you to heal your physical body as well. Also, I just want you to know that you're worth it. You are worth therapy. You're worth taking the time to improve your life and you're worth healing. I want you to know that you are strong and you are good and you are worthy of all the love in the world. If you, have, if you have found this podcast to be helpful or you enjoy it at all, please like, subscribe, uh, leave a review. All of those things help other people to be able to find the podcast um, and hopefully be able to help more people. If you have any questions or would like to interact with me, at all, you can find me on social media. Um, I am on TikTok and um, Instagram at Generational Cycle Breaker. And my email is generationalcyclebreaker at gmail.com. Would love to connect with you and answer any questions that you have. Um, Very excited to have this community. And I will speak with you soon. Thank you. Bye.